0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. Because as I look through the Psalms, there are so many different topics and angles that, that are discussed there. But what, what I see is that it is people that are passionate for God. You know, a portion of them written by David, roughly 50%, 75 to 80 of the 150 psalms we know were probably penned by David. And, and some of them are, are laments. You know, probably 50 to 75% of the psalms are, are just cries of the heart, talking about sorrows. And, and I think about how raw and authentic that poetic uh, form of scripture really is. And, and that's one of the things that we value here, is just being genuine being real. How many How many know that until you know yourself, it's hard to know God. Until you realize what you're dealing with, that you don't even recognize your sin. You don't even see your need for him. It's hard to even realize how good he really is and what he's done for us. And I think the Psalms really just paint that picture that it, it paints the contrast in such a real and vulnerable way of, God, my life is bleak without you, but look what you do. Look what God can do. And I think today is going to be a lot of fun as we dive into this. And uh, so as that's being passed around, I just want to kind of kickstart some background information on the Psalms in general. As I've already kind of hinted at, this is a pretty good chunk of the Old Testament scripture. And, and this would have been one of the main portions. It would have been the last section of the Torah. It would You would have had the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books that would include our law. You would have had um, the historical writings, the, the prophets, and then you would have the poetic scriptures. And now poetry makes up roughly 75%. I don't know if you realize this. It makes up uh, roughly 75% of all the Old Testament scriptures. And so when I say poetry, it would include the wisdom literature, such as Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And then we see other poetry in in Song of Solomon as well as the Psalms. And so I think it's it's really unique to try to understand poetic writing as as Scripture, because a lot of times, even what Rick uh, quoted today in transition, both of those he, that he was quoting, he read from Psalm 16, I believe, wasn't it? Psalm 16, talking about your, you have come upon us with a gladness and joy in your presence. It is full of that joy. And then he quoted, I believe it was Psalm 139 as well, about how he knows us, he formed us, what he knows about us. So there's so many contexts, that we ta- so much Scripture that we take from the Psalms, and we apply to what we know about God, but it's still written in a poetic form, which is very, very different than just a Paul writing a letter of theology to a church that he has planted. It's a very different form of, of writing, and, and understanding it is, is different because of that. And so that's what we'll look at a little bit today as we dive into our first psalm, which I'm really excited about. Probably the most common psalm that you hear quoted, that you hear sung, that you hear at a funeral, that you hear just about any time, what would be your guess is one of the most common psalms that would ever be used or quoted? I see some Psalm 23. One of my favorites, a shepherd's psalm, right? And I think that Psalm 23 is probably one of the most powerful psalms in in understanding, especially from David's heart, his perspective of God and what he relates to him about in that. And this psalm for me is really, it's about the goodness of God. And you see the goodness of God in, in two different sections here. In the first portion, which we're going to go line upon line and kind of look at the psalms over the next few weeks that, we, that we're digesting. But it talks about God's goodness as a shepherd, and then the second half of that as a host, as someone who hosts us, as someone who we are his welcome guests, and he is lavish with us. And so this psalm talking about God's goodness um, it, it poses ideas of trust and confidence, despite what circumstances you may find yourself in. I don't know about you, but I, I know my life isn't always a bed of roses. And I'm sure yours isn't either. It's not always waking up and there's coffee coming to you while you're still in bed and wow. breakfast, you smell the the, the bacon sizzling. And wow. I mean, that's not the world I live in. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's not yours either. And instead it's, it's, the pitter-patter of feet, and it screams and fights that you're breaking up, and, and that's like from sunup to sundown, right? That's, that's my life right now. But we all face different, different valleys that we walk through, so to speak, as the psalmist would say it in this chapter. But what we're reminded of is God's goodness, that we have confidence in Yahweh's ability to deliver us and to walk with us despite what life may throw at us. And I really love the, the personality uh, of David making this so individualized and so personal, which is very unique for, for poetry in general. But he individualizes that in this psalm, in Psalm 23. And so I want us to kind of read this together. And the first one, uh, Bethany, uh, there's going to be a video. You can go ahead and uh, click on it. It's literally just going to walk us through the psalm and we can read it together. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And so this is the translation that I really think is most closely translated to what I want to talk about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does he do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then as he concludes, he says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Yeah. I just thought that would be a fun way to look at the Scripture together. So we're going to walk through this, and, and there's a number of different ways to really approach. Um, most sermons are really one of two different ways. They're Typically, what we've done over the past few weeks is we talked about the voice or the Holy Spirit, um, or even uh, as, as Rick came in and spoke a couple of weeks, we looked at topics, and we would approach the Scripture, and we would see, what does God's Word say about this? You know, sometimes you can approach, what, what about God's faithfulness in how we remember what He has done for us? Remember um, when we look back in order to move forward, that's what we, that's what we looked at. But for, this, uh, for these next few weeks, we're really just going to look at the passage of Scripture, a psalm in our case, and we're going to see what is God's Word just saying to us? Instead of us looking for what He's saying about a particular topic, we're just going to look at a particular passage and then let it speak to us on what it says. So let's dive into this together. You with me? All right, Psalm 23. So let's take a fresh look at this common psalm. And as I mentioned, there are two ideas that are presented here as God reflects on, as David reflects on God's goodness. He sees him in verses one through four as a shepherd. And then in the the latter two verses, five and six, he sees him as a host. And here he is in verse one, he says, "'The Lord is my shepherd.'" I shall not one. And the word here that he uses, the Lord, literally is Yahweh. It is who God revealed himself to be to Moses in Exodus 3. Well, who should I say sent me? I am. Who? Yahweh. The one who is ever present, who is with you, who is leading you out of slavery, who is the one that is about to perform miracles on your behalf. I am. I am everything you need in every situation. I am is the one who has sent you. And here, here David is using that most powerful form to relate to a title for God as he as he really starts this psalm. He's saying, Yahweh, the ever-present one, the all-powerful one. He is, and I love this. He personalizes it, it is whose shepherd? My shepherd. He is my shepherd. And typically you would find in, in Scripture, especially even in the poetic literature, it would be more of a collective. It would be like, he is our shepherd. It is it is the nation of Israel. It is the people of God that, that he is collectively leading. But here David is is like, no, he has been my shepherd. He has led me out of things. He has provided for me personally. He has been there for me when I needed him. And I love how David allows us to be able to individualize that today, that we can claim that Yahweh, God, the ever-present one, is our shepherd. He is my shepherd. And because that he is our shepherd, we can say, I shall not want. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really relate to being a shepherd. Has anybody had sheep or any type of farm? Okay, BJ's hand was up. Not a lot of us. The closest I ever got, if you'll throw up that photo for me, Bethany, was a pygmy Nigerian dwarf goat. All right, this is Sunshine, and we had Sunshine for, Sunshine, we had Sunshine, we had Sunshine, Uh, we called her Sunny, uh, probably because I couldn't say it, I don't know. Sunshine, we had Sunny for, I don't know, maybe a collective three weeks, right? Maybe longer than that. It didn't seem very long, but apparently it was a few months. So here they are, this is, now I know what you're thinking, what did we do to Judah and his hair? So yeah, just move on, focus on the goat. Uh, Sunshine and sunny here, it was just a hot mess, came to us and was still being bottle fed, right? Didn't understand that it couldn't live inside with the rest of us. Uh, we were trying to keep it in the backyard back here, and uh, it kept trying to, you know, kind of kick its way in through that back door. And finally, when the kids, every time they're going outside to play, it's like knocking them down. And it was one of those dancing goats. It was hilarious just to see Sunny kind of running through the yard. We loved it. There were tears shed when we uh, rehomed it, because we founded a new home uh, on a farm up in Jefferson County. But there's sunshine now, and, and there's a video even. You can click the video. I don't know if it's going to have audio or not. Candy is hoping it doesn't. So that's... Uh, Yeah, that's candy yelling, you know, go, Sunny, go, go, Sunny, go. And you can can land on that last one where it's in the lap so you can see sunshine. But this is the closest I've really ever been to being a shepherd. And so I don't think it really counts. And so I know that many of us probably can't relate to the shepherd life when we're trying to understand God as our shepherd. It's not a paradigm or a culture that we live in. And so as I was doing some of my studying, I was looking back to a lot of what that time period, and here we are in the Middle East, uh, thousands of years ago, and even now, uh, there's a culture of, ha- of being a shepherd, even in some of the books I read in West Africa or different parts of, of that whole Mesopotamian um, area, that there's, there's the idea of being a shepherd, and, and they understand this terminology and this metaphor a lot better than you and I do. And, and, and you could have had a baby goat, and, and you may think that counts, or you know, for me, I think the most shepherding I've ever done is the 25 years that I've worked with kids, right? I've worked with kiddos, and I think they're the most difficult thing to shepherd, right? You're trying to, here we have been two weeks at camp, and we're just like, please, the cafeteria is that way. Come on, don't you want food? And it seems like you're pulling teeth sometimes, but here we are with the paradigm of, of a shepherd, and. We're going to learn so much. And, and I love about how the first reading where this would have been a, a familiar metaphor is exactly where we find David, where we find David when he's first introduced in Scripture. And it's, in, uh, it's going to be in 1 Samuel sixteen eleven. if you'll throw that up for me, Bethany. 1 Samuel sixteen eleven. It says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Wait, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out t- doing what? Tending sheep. He said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives, 1 Samuel 16, 11. You see, this image of a shepherd, it arouses uh, emotions of care. It arouses these um, emotions of someone who is providing, who is protecting. And a good shepherd was always personally concerned with the welfare of his sheep. And, and the, the model of shepherding that David would have been familiar with would have been a shepherd who led. Because there were typically two different, there was an eastern and a western view of shepherding, one that that kind of that led from behind and kind of moved them forward. But David's model of shepherding would have been one that they followed him as he led. And so David would have understood that God was a guide. He would have related to him as that shepherd that guided, that led his people, that led them into his goodness and to his plans for him. And the, the scriptures are full. I would, I would even encourage you, do, do a search. Do a, a word study on shepherd. Because we find that even the prophets remind Israel about how he is their caretaker, about how he is tender and gentle as a shepherd, how he is guiding and providing. In Isaiah 40, 11, it says this. He tends his flocks, speaking of God, like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12, it says this, "'For this is what the sovereign Lord says, "'I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. "'As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock "'when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep, "'and I'll rescue them from all the places "'where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness.'" And then later in that chapter, Ezekiel 34 is a really powerful uh, prophetic writing on uh, how, how Ezekiel is saying, look at God as your good shepherd. And he says in verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, talking about the lineage of David, which Christ would come from, and he will tend them and he will tend them and be their shepherd. You know, we looked at when we talked about the voice about how Jesus is our good shepherd. How he's not the hireling, which even Ezekiel talks about how you have some false shepherds who are in it for the wrong intentions. You have people in your life, you know them right now, who are in your life probably for the wrong reason. They want something out of you. They want to use you for something. Um, they're, you're just you're a cog in their, in their will. That you're just another piece to the puzzle, but there's no relationship or care. Is there Jojo? All right. <laughs> she has something to say about that. But we see that God's not like that. He's not in our lives for the, for the wrong reason. He's not throwing us some sort of hook that's got bait on the end that hopefully will bite onto it. No, he's in our lives because he cares for us, because he wants to walk with us, because he's got goodness and mercy for us. And so we see this close connection of the imagery of the shepherd and the king that would lead God's people. And this is what I think is really, really powerful. The Lord declares uh, of David in Second Samuel five two and I think I have a uh, an image graphic back there Bethany for this he says of David he says you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over them over Israel you see though there's this close paradigm of the crown and the and the sheep there's this idea of being a shepherd king of leading not with a dictatorship but our God being one that, yes, is the, the one that is all supreme, but yet is walking with us right there in the fields of our life. And I think that a lot of times we we can see God as the, the one that is holy, that is just, that is supreme, that is king, that he is one day going to reign and rule. And and I love how we want to quote, you know, sometimes like, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And usually it's when we're frustrated with someone who's not godly and they're really kind of getting on our nerves. And we're like, one day their knee will bow. I will get my vengeance and God's going to make it happen. And and that's completely not what that scripture is talking about. It's talking about how Paul is saying, you know what? even now here in this jail cell as I'm writing to you, church in Philippi, I am telling myself that my knee will bow, that I probably will be on a chopping block pretty soon. And every tongue will confess. But even if all that, it's imitating the emptying that Christ has shown us. So Jesus, as he led us as a king, was chief of all shepherds as well. He was the good shepherd that cares about us tenderly that guides us and leads us. So let's look at this. He says that the Lord is my shepherd and I'm spending a lot of time establishing how he is a shepherd because I think we'll have a hard time understanding the rest of what he does unless we really buy into that. He says, because Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus tells us and reminds us in Matthew as he's given that great discourse on the mount. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single thing to your life? If you will just trust the great shepherd, look at all these things that I have taken care of in Matthew 6. He says, I tell you don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink or about your body or what you will wear. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't they don't make those they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more important? And look at the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin. Aren't you more important? Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Aren't you more important? But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the shepherd and his righteousness. And watch how this ties in to the psalm as we talk about those paths of righteousness. This is really neat. And he says to him, he says to us, uh, that David does in, in verse two, he says, because he is my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now I think that's what, this is pretty, pretty neat. If you understand the, the context of the climate where they're at, he said, because green pastures there were very seasonal. And I don't know about you. We talked recently about seasons and cycles of our life that we walk through. And, and sometimes I go through seasons that everything's going well. Other seasons, it seems like nothing could go right, right? And we walk through different seasons of life. But here, when we're with the shepherd, he's saying that I will lead you and I will cause you to lie down in green pastures. This is not going to, to any longer be based on the seasons that you're walking in. This is going to be based on the shepherd that I am. This is no longer going to be based on the circumstances that you find yourself in. It's going to be based on the one who is truly guiding you and leading you and who is ever present regardless of the climate you may be in. And I think that's so powerful because a sheep would never lie down unless there were a few factors that were really solidified for them. One, they don't have any fear of danger. A sheep is always going to be kind of skittish and, and alert, and we're looking around, there's, there's naturally a tendency towards fear, and, 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 but unless they know that there is no fear of danger, they feel at peace, and, and that they know also that everything that is being provided for them, not only in food, that there's not going to be a scarcity of, of provision for them, but also any ailments that they may have. And back then there would have been issues with ears and nose and worms and different things that they would have needed that anointing oil for something that would create a salve that could be a healing agent for them in that climate that they're walking in that they feel completely at rest and at peace because there's no question of where my resources are going to come from and I'm fully provided for. I'm I'm in comfort and rest and peace. He Makes me lie down in green pastures. What a seasonal phenomenon that God's care isn't based on season, but is constant and abundant. Isn't that encouraging? And I think about in order uh, for us to, to enter into these luscious pastures, here we are viewing our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he makes me lie down in green pastures, he will also lead me beside still waters. And I love how the Hebrew actually reads. The Hebrew literally reads, He leads me beside waters of rest. Man, I don't know about you, but today in 2019 with 18 kids apparently, we need some waters of rest, right? Yeah, and grow. Amen, Katie said. But But a rest that, again, isn't based on our circumstances and our climate, but a rest that is internal a rest that is is peace. Yes, I challenged you guys a few weeks ago talking about how can we create these rhythms of rest? How can we give ourselves some more bandwidth in our life to where we aren't always living tapped out? And I think that that is one of the greatest distractions the enemy will use is just busyness today. But here is our great shepherd, and he is saying, I'm going to lead you beside still waters, literally waters of rest, waters that are... You ever seen that glassy water when you drive by it? It almost draws more attention than the waves, right? You're like, wow, that's amazing. Look how glassy it is. The swamps over here on Timothy Road today were glass. They were glass today. They're not always like that. Those are not the waters I'm hoping the Lord is leading me by. <laughs> but, but you notice those that are just still, that are glassy, and there's, there's just something about it. Even as nasty as those are when we drove by them, there's something peaceful about it in the same moment, as well as I need to get updated on my shot records. You know, I need to go ahead and just remind myself in case I go by those again. I need to make sure that I got a booster for Timothy Road Swamps. But here, God is leading us. <laughs> That's a true story. There is a God that is leading us towards this rest. And that was a freebie for you. Let's just get back to the verses because I'm going to get off track. So the waters of rest that he, he leads us by lead to verse 3 for us that He restores my soul. And I love how even that, the kind of the video picture of the Scripture, it was shattered. and He brings it back together. I don't know where, where you're at right now. I don't know how shattered you feel. I don't know what you're walking through, but I know there's a shepherd who does. And I know that there's someone who has a, a bomb from Gilead that can put back pieces together And restore them to where they're stronger than they were even before they were broken. Because only our God can do that. There's no other love or affection or any other thing that you could fill in that void to try to bring that back together. Because let's just face it, that's what we spend our life doing. We spend our life trying to put these fractured pieces of ourselves back together. And that's where we find the gospel. The good news is Jesus has done it. Let's come to our good shepherd and allow him to heal. That isn't always like this. It isn't the it isn't the Uber Eats, come to my door, bring me my, my good tidings. Yeah. It sometimes is a process, it is a journey that the Lord walks with us. And that's why He is our shepherd. He is our guide through this. And He restores my soul. He restores my soul, regardless of how weary or chased down. And I think David knew this well. He had been weary. He had literally been chased down and his life threatened. That's only happened to me a couple of times and never near as serious as David's. He was tempted and even failed. He had experienced some really deep heartache. He had experienced some loss as a result of his sin. He had committed adultery and then murder. He had done all that before I believe this was penned. He had experienced some things that would give him reason for some deep heartache and grief and sorrow and shame and regret. And yet he's saying here, you restore my soul. So wherever you may find yourself today, I find a hope. I find hope for all of us that he can restore our soul and that he can lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I love this. I love that as the shepherd, he is not leading us in crooked paths. And even though I talked about when we look back to go forward, that the Israelites were not always taken on the shortest distance, but on the one that they could tolerate and handle. And they knew that. And God knew that. And I think sometimes that we think, God, this looks like a crooked path. I don't know what you're doing. But it's not crooked in the sense of what is on it on what we're going to be able to handle, the, how our shepherd is leading and guiding us, that he leads us in his righteousness. And this isn't a righteousness that we're obtaining. This is literally a righteousness here that he is giving to us. He is leading us in paths of his righteousness. It is already there. It's nothing you're working up towards. It is not like I've got to get to a better place so maybe he can lead me in his path of right, He is already directing our paths. We just stay behind the shepherd. and We will find that he has got good things for us ahead. Our great shepherd is guiding and he will lead us towards those straight paths, those paths of righteousness, and they will benefit, all of us will benefit from the blessings of the journey, even though it is ultimately for his name's sake. And you've heard me say this, that kind of a litmus test, a plumb line for theology is that it comes from God right it comes through god and it goes ultimately back to god and here we see that even the the shepherd paradigm is that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and there's a number of verses throughout scripture that talk about how it just do you could do another word study there on his name's sake The the other Psalms will echo this. The prophets will say it. God, deliver us for your name's sake. Even Moses, as he's wrestling with him, don't destroy your people. They have your name on them. For your name's sake, protect them. Bring them out of this slavery, this bondage that they're in to worshiping idols. Ultimately, God is doing a work in us because we are bearing his image and it is for his name's sake that He would receive glory from the work that He's doing in us. Because we can't claim that, wow, look what I did. Look what I did with my life. Look at all the broken pieces I managed to get back together with some Moz Podge here, and and I I managed to, to keep it stuck together for a little while. Like the puzzle glue, that's what we use at home. It literally still falls apart. But we recognize, God, I can't do it. You are leading me in your path of righteousness for your name's sake. And I'm encouraged that it is Yahweh who does this because that is the one who is ever present. And to be present with his people, we see this literally from the outset of when, when God would give that, uh, give that name in Exodus 3.12. If you'll throw that up there, let's look at this real quick. And God said, he said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you, speaking to Moses. Moses. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It will be for my name's sake that I am delivering you. You will come out and you will be able to give me glory. You will be able to worship me in freedom. He says, I will be with you. This is the promise of who Yahweh is, of who our shepherd is. And I look at verse 4, and and this one's kind of, um, this one's really interesting, especially... For those of us who aren't shepherds, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think the first time that 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 verse ever hit me, Rick, it was a Bone thugs and harmony album. I don't know if you remember it. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear. I, I should have had that clip, right? I think that was the first time I ever actually remember that verse standing out. was like, yeah, bone thugs knows what's up. You know, that was, that was my, maybe my in the middle of BC days there that I was listening to that. Um, but here we are that there's this recognition from David as a king, but yet a follower of a great shepherd that there are going to be times in our life that we're still going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that even though there is this great shepherd who leads us into great, to green pastures, who makes me lie down beside waters of rest, who restores my soul, who leads my path uh, along his righteousness for his name's sake, there are still valleys that we will walk through by default, being in this world and living in this life. And so literally, as, as, a, as a shepherd is taking his flock and leading them, on the other side of these green pastures in this mountain is another valley. And between the two rocky crags here, they have to kind of pass through this, this valley, and it would be dangerous. It would be dangerous for the sheep. There, this is oftentimes where the, where the rocky crags in that valley, where the, the animals would hide that would be of uh, prey and, and be looking, there would be the predators looking for those sheep. And, and so here they, he, is, he is literally taking that symbol and saying, I know I still go and have to go through these valleys, these avenues, these pathways, but God, you're still with me. Even though I walk through these types of experiences in my life, literally the valley that brings shadows from death. He says, I'm not going to fear any evil. I'm not going to be afraid of what, you, what may happen because ultimately I know that you are with me. And he says, because I, I, I can know that you are with me, even your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And as I was reading about a West African um, shepherd who was writing on Psalm 23, he was saying, as he grew up as a young boy, they would be out there and they would literally have contests with their rod, with the staff that they have, to see how, who was most accurate to hit something, kind of target practice. And they were so, they would have picked out their staff. It would have been personalized, it would have been exactly what they could hold, what was comfortable to them. The weight was good. They knew how to use it to, to keep away predators, anything of harm. Uh, from their flock, and, and they, he was talking about how this was something that was customary, that they all knew and, and handled well. This staff was a part of them, in an extension, literally, almost as a, another right hand. How powerful that staff was, as an extension of who they were. And here we are seeing that it is your rod and your staff. And sometimes that rod would have a hook, as, as you've seen, to, to kind of pull some back from the edges of cliffs or back to safety and keep them together. And at other times, use the pointier side to maybe actually uh, you know, take out something that was of danger that was coming and encroaching upon the flock. But here I see that we can even take great comfort in what we might see as discipline, what we might see as correction, is something that is ultimately going to bring us comforts. And, and I look at how for years I looked and understood a shepherd of, of someone that I kind of had to earn His grace. I had to kind of work into that path of righteousness I felt like. And, and even as a teenager, I was, I was so hard on myself. And maybe you've heard me say it before. Uh, I understood God's grace in, a, in kind of a limited way. I knew He loved me, but I sure wanted to please Him. And sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves that I kept a record of my wrongs. As a teenager, I would literally take a calendar, and I would mark the day to see if I had had I lived up to my own a goal, and if not, I'd put an S on there. That day had been a day of sin. And there were other days, and I would mark them if I had fasted with an F, to see had I really, um, you know, materialized the disciplines in my life, and had I shown effort, and And sometimes we think we're working towards God's grace, but instead we should be working from it. And and I think oftentimes we can get that warped in our mind of trying to earn God's love and His grace that even when He disciplines us, it's out of His love. And I love what the Proverbs say in Proverbs 3, 11 through 13. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke. Verse 12. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son He delights in. Hebrews 12 echoes this in Hebrews twelve four through 11 In your struggle against sin, have you resist, resisted to the point of shedding your blood? Or have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. What if we disciplined our kids that way? What if they understood our discipline as a form of love? Not out of frustration. Not out of, you guys are a hot mess and i got to get it under control. Which sometimes that's exactly what's happening, right? But instead, it was, God is treating you as his children. In verse 7, for what child is not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and this is really powerful in verse 8 and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. I've never heard anyone preach on that verse. Illegitimate children, right? How do we embrace his discipline? Because that is his rod and his staff. It should be a comfort to us. Thank you, God, for caring so much that you would keep me on your path, that you would continue to lead me and guide me and not allow me to go my own way. Thank you for putting people in my life that would speak to me, even when it's uncomfortable for me. Thank you, God, that you would allow people to, to really just be in my face sometimes because I needed it. Thank you, God, for allowing my toes to be stepped on. Thank you, God, for putting me around people that are stretching me in my political views, and my cultural views, and things that, God, that I need to recognize that maybe not aligned, aren't aligned with who you are. Thank you, God, for not letting me go my own path, because heaven knows, man, where I would be right now if I had been able to do that. But for the grace of God, we see through his rod and staff that can bring us comfort today. Amen. And this is one of the things in parenting our own kids, Candy and I were really firm on. This was a value for us. I mean, we don't like paint it and put it on the wall. We're not that kind of home. It's, you know, our home is, is lived in, Right. That I means there's like cheese and crayons and syrup on the wall. That's, it's, that, those are our values, I think. That's what we put on the wall. That's pretty much what our home has lived in. So, but one of the values was let our kids know the why. Not just the what we want of them, but the why we want it. And I think it's so important because a lot of times, early on when Ellie and Judah were little, I remember telling them countless times, the reason I need you to obey is because one day it may save your life it may matter because I see something you don't. And you're running at this level, but I see something at this level and it is going to kill you. And I think a lot of times the Lord is the same way with us. He's saying, I just need you to obey at this level and trust me that I have your best interest in mind, that I am protecting you, that it is for your good, that you would experience life and life to the full, that it wouldn't be cut short. For my kids, that's what it's all about. And sometimes the why is just knowing that. Why? Because you can trust Yahweh. You can trust him. He is keeping us alive for his good purposes. Your rod and your staff. Thank you, God, they comfort me. And then we transition in verse five. We go from that paradigm is is Yahweh is our shepherd to a great host. And in verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me. Oh, I love this. In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And I love it that we see God as our host. And I'm not the most hospitable person. Some of you, you may be really, really good at it. But it it takes a lot of work for us, right? We even hosting family, I'm like, oh man, is it our turn? Uh, the holidays. Uh, we're hosting next week just uh, a friend that Candy was in her wedding. She was in Candy's wedding. One of those college roommates that you've stayed in touch with that were just a really good friend. But we're like, they're coming for less than 24 hours, but we have spent days purging our house, which was necessary and it was on our short list of things to do. But we're like, man, being a host is not our forte. It is not the way we're wired. Others are gifted that way. And everyone should serve according to the grace that they've been given. But here we see that that literally here is God, the, the God of hosts. Well, yes, of heaven's armies, but literally he is the one who hosts and hosts well. That he is the king of hosting. He throws the best parties for his children. And, and he does it. I heard about this recently. I was talking to Candy last night about it. Her brother is a pastor up in Massachusetts and was invited to this lavish birthday party you talk about being a host, they dropped 10 grand on their girl's birthday party. That's five times what we spent on our wedding, okay? That, they dropped 10 grand and you're like, y'all only spent $2,000 on your wedding? Yeah, we did. So um, it, it was bootleg, all right? But our, this $10,000 birthday party, they, it was for little bitty girls that they had personalized swimsuits made for all the little girls that were coming, a live band all kinds of crazy stuff, fancy foods catered. I mean, it was to the nines and then some, right? And so I'm like, what, what a waste. Here's the deal, when when my wife like breaks the $100 threshold for one of my kids' birthday, I'm asking for like atomized details of how she spent that money. I want to know that she compared it with two other brick and mortar stores and three online sites. I'm like, are you kidding me? You dropped a buck twenty five, you dropped $125 on Judah's seventh birthday party, and we didn't talk about it? like there ain't no 10 grand coming out of nowhere for that. But here is a God who is limitless in his resources and just loves to be lavish. And he is a host that when we come to his table, it's a full spread. (laughs) If you want to be baptized and you think that we're that kind of bougie church, come talk to us at the end. He prepares a table before me. And I think that this is how many times David is seeing this prophetically, not even knowing that there was going to be a last supper for the lineage of David with that Savior and His boys. And how there was going to be a final supper even at that great marriage supper of the Lamb talking about the communion of God hosting us across a table. How intimate this is. How lavish and extravagant that even a $10,000 birthday party can't really even smack of how amazing and awesome it will be. And that yet God does this In the presence of our enemies of those that have been taunting us that have been saying things about us I don't don't know about you if you've been lied about before that's one of the most irritating things or you've been misunderstood or you have been just taken out of context but God is saying I am going to provide for you my provision is even in the presence of those that hate you the most That's powerful. Let that sink in. That You don't have to step up and take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and it is by the way that I take care of you. It is by the trust and the peace that you have that distinguishes you from the rest of the world. He is our shepherd. He provides for us. And as we enter into His home, He anoints our head with oil. And you think about walking those dusty roads, as a shepherd or now a host. It's the same, same terrain that you're in day in and day out. Probably not bathing every day the way that I hope most of you do today. But he, there, there were, you were probably, he had some ashy elbows, your knees too. Like there's some feet, there's some feet things going on, right? Because you've been kicking some dirt up. But here he's saying, I am anointing you with the best oil that has been mixed with perfume and spices you're going to be able to smell that you have been in my presence because I am setting a spread before you you will not only taste but you will smell different as a result of being with me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows Now, it doesn't say that this will always happen, that this will always be the circumstances that we find ourselves in because we know that there's also the valley of the shadow of death. But we know ultimately He is our provision. Ultimately, He is the one that will cause things to overflow in our life with goodness and mercy, which is where the psalmist wraps up. And I want to wrap up today. He says that He will prepare a bounty for us but this, good, this bounty, I believe, is his goodness, and it is his mercy. And it says, right here, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. You ever been followed? You ever been followed by someone? I've been tailed a couple times. Once I had to turn my lights off at night and drive as fast as I could down roads only I knew to get away because I had honked at him at a red light for some reason I shouldn't have as a teenager and got followed, and I'm like, oh Lord, I'm 16 or 17 at the most. So I get followed. I would much rather have these two things following me, goodness and mercy, instead of some, somebody in a truck that I don't know who knows what's in their cab um, and what they might do. But the Lord says, despite what you may walk through, despite what you may have been chased by, which David had been chased, despite what you have had thrown at you in circumstances and health and finances, He says, because Yahweh is your shepherd and your host, goodness and mercy shall follow me. This He can guarantee all the days of my life. The anointing and the cup, that may come in seasons. Paul said, I learned to be content whether I have little or much. But what we are guaranteed, Siri, is that we can have God's goodness and mercy. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about Levi's favorite word right now is, okay, Google. Hey, <laughs> hey, Google. It's so cute. But this word goodness, I think, encapsulate everything that the shepherd and the host will do in and for us. And then the mercy is that he is giving us something that we did not deserve, the continual covenant promises of his goodness. And here I think that the goodness is understood as the demonstration or the acts of care of his promises on behalf of us, his children. These are the evidences of his blessings. Goodness can also be translated here as prosperity. And mercy is literally the word used in Hebrew, hesed, for love. So it could also be in an Old English translated as charity. So you could have prosperity and charity following you all the days of your life. So if you get a couple of pets, name them prosperity and charity, right? Those are great. And watch them follow you all the days of your life. But here, that hesed, that love, that mercy that is most often translated is God's covenantal commitment to bless His people with His goodness, to keep His promises, to be who He is in our lives, to be Yahweh, the great I am. So instead of being full of fear, pursued by enemies who seek your destruction, it's God's goodness and mercy instead that are chasing us down. Wow, what a contrast to what it could have been had we not been led and guided and see this awe-inspiring shepherd that is leading us. And while his provision may not always be bountiful with oil and an overflowing cup, what we can count on is God's goodness and mercy all the days of our life. And he says, literally, I think in poetic form, he reiterates this in the last line, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Literally in the Hebrew saying, you will continually find me returning to this place. You will continue to find me going back to where God's presence is. Amen? Amen. When we're in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. He can make all the mountains in our life become valleys, They melt like wax in his presence. Would you bow your head with me as we wrap up in prayer? I'm not sure what you're needing uh, today and what you came in heavy with, but I believe that there is someone that is worth your trust. You may be needing a shepherd, you may be needing rest, you may be needing soul refreshment, you may feel fragmented and broken. You may be walking through a particularly difficult season. You may even be needing the Lord's correction right now in your life. You may even need to see God's provision even in the midst of difficult situations and people. You may be needing God's mercy and goodness in a real way right now. And if any of these things are you, if you have said, God, you're speaking to me today, I just want to pray with you. I just want you to slip your hand up so I can agree with you in prayer. Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else, let's, let's believe the Lord to show up in a powerful way today. Amen. 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 God, I just pray for your people right now today. I pray, God, that, is, that we would catch a new glimpse of you as our shepherd, that we would come underneath your refuge and care. Lord, I believe that there are some strongholds and some wars that are being fought right now spiritually uh, in lives in this place. And Lord, we just pray, God, that you would dispatch angels and there would be just a surrounding of your presence around uh, the folks in this house. The Lord, there would be the spiritual battle would be yours, Lord, that they would lift up a resounding uh, voice of praise and exaltation, a recognition of the good shepherd in their life, Lord. And we thank you that you're going to begin to break things off, lies that have been believed, words that have been spoken, health that has been deteriorating. God, you are beginning to just break those things in. Your, your report is the one that we're going to believe. We thank you that you are the one that leads us into green pastures. You are our provider. You are the one that guides us. You are the one that protects us. We thank you and praise you, God, for your goodness and your mercy all the days of our life. It is in your name we pray. Amen and amen.